I'm Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music. I look at music's effect on our everyday lives. I happened to casually mention the word earworm recently when I was talking with my family, and my kids were completely grossed out. (laughs) Turns out they had never heard the term and didn't know what it was, in which case it would sound like something you don't want to discuss at the dinner table. An earworm is a song that gets stuck in your head. It's also called involuntary musical imagery, and about 98% of us experience them. I have a whole bunch of questions about this phenomenon, and I have with me today the perfect person to answer them. Catherine Cotter completed her PhD in psychology in 2020 at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, where she studied topics related to creativity, musical imagery, and powerful and meaningful interactions with the arts. She will be starting a position at the Positive Psychology Center at the University of Pennsylvania in the fall to continue studying people's experiences with the arts. Welcome to the show, Dr. Cotter. Thank you so much for having me, Mindy. It's great to join you. Well, first of all, let me give you a huge double congratulations on both completing your PhD recently and on the new position you'll be starting in the fall. It's so exciting. Yes. Yeah. It'll be strange <laughs> being out of school, but I'm, I'm excited to move to the next phase of, of my job and career. I bet. Well, I hope you get a chance to catch your breath and recharge your batteries <laughs> a little bit over the summer yes, before jumping into a new position. <laughs> Well, I've read some really interesting tidbits about earworms, such as most often they contain lyrics. They are Mm -hmm. equally common in men and women, but last longer and are more irritating for women. And somehow I feel like there (laughs) should be a punchline right there. (laughs) And if you like music, you're more susceptible to earworms. What, what else should we know about earworms before we jump into some more specific questions about what causes them and, most important, what gets rid of them? Can you give us the earworm 411? Sure. So something that I think is really an interesting piece of, of kind of the earworm urban myth type thing that we talk about in our everyday lives, normally when we mention that we have an earworm, we're always talking about something that's like really annoying us in that moment. Mm -hmm. So we're really disliking this experience, maybe because it's distracting us or we don't like the song or whatever. But when we actually ask people, hey, you have an earworm right now, what do you think about it? People actually enjoy it more often than they say they don't enjoy it. So we tend to remember those really pesky times, but... If we ask you about kind of a sampling of those times that you have an earworm, you're more likely to say you're kind of enjoying it than than you are to say you're kind of disliking it. Ah, interesting. So, yeah. So whenever we talk about earworms, it's always this negative thing. But if we dig a little deeper, we find there there are some positives. And we do enjoy having this little inner radio in our heads sometimes. <laughs> are there other factors that this affect how susceptible we are besides gender and liking music or not liking music, like age or personality or how much musical mm-hmm. experience you have? Yes. Yeah, so, so people who have greater musical experience uh, tend to have this more frequently, just musical imagery more generally, not necessarily earworm specifically, but folks with more music experience might be relating it back to maybe a performance they are uh, they have in in the future, trying to rehearse things or can't get their repertoire out of their head when they're trying to forget about that performance they have mm. coming up. <laughs> um, composers will often rely on their imagery and will be um, kind of inspired by this out of nowhere music that pops in their head and will 
incorporate it later into their compositions. Um, so musical expertise is definitely a big factor in how frequently people are experiencing these. And another big one is personality. And so the big personality trait associated with this is openness to experience, which is basically just having some sort of tendency toward um, viewing things from different perspectives, being open-minded toward um, kind of other viewpoints and willing to have discussions about it, but also being really open and enjoy and uh, having a lot of enjoyment uh, mm. from the arts. So that personality makes you more susceptible to earworms? Yeah, you tend to report it more frequently. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Now, I mentioned, and you just mentioned the the term musical imagery, and that's mm-hmm. sort of the scientific name for this, or involuntary musical imagery. Yeah, so there there's a little bit of a difference. So musical imagery is just anytime you have music in your head that's not like playing somewhere in your environment. Um, okay. Involuntary musical imagery is when that experience starts without you having purposely started it. So it just kind of pops mm. in your head. Okay. Um, but there are other times where we might purposefully say, I want music in my head. I want to imagine this song right uh-huh. now. And so that's a little, doesn't quite fall under that involuntary musical imagery because we're controlling it. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting that the term imagery is used because when mm-hmm. I think of an earworm, I don't think of visual. I think of imagery as a mm-hmm. visual thing. Yeah. And that's, Largely because in psychology, when we, the the first type of mental imagery really study was visual imagery, and it's received the vastly the the majority of the attention in in the psychological science of imagery. Hmm. But when we use the term imagery, we're just talking about anytime you're imagining something. Okay. Um, so it doesn't just have to be visual, although. A lot of people, when they hear music in their head, they also have some kind of visual okay. piece accompanying it. Okay. Well, now in the world of virtual experiences. Mm-hmm. I kind of think of it as like virtual music. It's not actually <laughs> playing, but it's there in your head. Yeah. Right, right. Are there certain characteristics of songs that make them more likely to become an earworm? Um, so there's been some some work on this, but when we ask people what music is in your head, we get such variable results. And there's been some great work by some folks over at Goldsmiths University in in London that have really looked into what people are imagining rather than how they feel about it or how often it's happening. And what they tend to find is it's more related to your own personal preferences than necessarily something about the song. So if it's something you've heard recently, or perhaps you're going to see somebody in concert, and so you're thinking about that, those are the types of songs that are more likely to pop into our heads. Mm. So something we have like a kind of recent type of connection to. Um, But oftentimes people have no idea why a particular song has popped into their head. Okay. So it's not necessarily music that tends to be more upbeat or catchy or fast that can become an earworm. Anything is up for grabs, huh? Yeah. So it it seems that way. Um, Although people don't quite listen to the radio as often as they may have used to given all the streaming platforms and our ability to kind of pick our own musical adventure. Um, If you think about what's on the radio, people might report those types of songs more frequently just because there's more exposure to that type of music Mm. Um, or things like, like if you go to the grocery store, it tends to be kind of that billboard top 100 type of music. And so um, 
I believe there is some work kind of suggesting that that poppy type of music is more frequently reported, but it's hard to kind of disentangle the exposure piece from the the musicological features piece at this point. No one's really delved into that. Oh, okay. Yet. So there's at least not, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> okay. So there's not like the top 10 earworm songs of all time listing or anything. No, like that. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's certain artists that tend to pop up. Um, like I know Michael Jackson in the studies that have been conducted in the past 10 years or so, a lot of Michael Jackson songs are often reported Lady Gaga, um, I think Britney Spears was up there. So a lot of the this poppy type music, but we also just tend to encounter it in our environments a bit more than mm-hmm. some kind of indie, like a, a lesser known indie band that we might be a big fan of or something. Like sure, that. sure. What about hold music? <laughs> a listener commented not too long ago that hold, she was like, why is hold mm. music so annoying? And it's like, you're listening to the same thing over and over. And mm-hmm. then when you finally get a person on the line, you still keep hearing that music in your head and you can't get it out. Yeah. So that just might have something to do with like the recency. So often when we ask people, well, why did you have that particular Michael Jackson song? It's like, oh, I heard it on the radio like an hour ago. And that's why. So it might just be a little bit of a holdover. Mm. Um, from just having had to listen to it for however long you were on hold. Sure. Well, and oftentimes when we're on hold, our brain is not fully occupied with a different activity. Mm -hmm. It's sort of there, but not there. And I'm guessing that makes us a little more susceptible to earworms. Yeah. So there's been some work looking at how in demand your attention is at any given moment. So if you're doing something that requires a lot of attention or not much attention or mental effort. And so people tend to experience earworms when they're in these kind of low attention states where you're maybe doing something monotonous that doesn't really require a whole lot of focus so Mm. that would make sense if you're sitting on hold just kind of sitting there waiting being left alone with your thoughts for a few moments well and often take hold yeah and often as this listener was observing hold music is not particularly great music No. <laughs> um, now, I was on hold briefly with Schmidt Music recently, and I have to give them a shout out. They have great hold music. But in general, <laughs> most hold music, you know, most people don't want to, companies aren't don't want to pay for great hold music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the whole idea is that you're not supposed to spend a whole lot of time listening to it. But as we all know, that's not always the case in real life. Well, mm-hmm. I, I read somewhere that being aware of earworms makes them last longer. And To me, that's kind of like when you tell somebody, don't think about X, Y, Z, like, don't think Mm -hmm. about ripe bananas. Well, what are you going to do immediately is think about ripe Mm -hmm. bananas and what they smell like and the squishy texture and what they look like. And, you know, if you're trying not to Mm -hmm. think about something, you just tend to think Mm -hmm. about it all the more. Yes, that is definitely a phenomenon that's been well studied in, in psychology, the, the kind of joke that we that I use as an example in my classes is don't think about a white bear and then everyone's just like, thank you. <laughs> um, with musical imagery, whenever I, I talk about this work and try to give an example of some of my work, I'm like, all right, so don't stop believing. And then they all immediately groan because they won't <laughs> then have that song in their in their minds for the next um, ever so often. And so this is kind of called the like ironic effect of mental control. So we're trying to control something now that we're aware of it. And then fail horribly oftentimes because we're trying so hard to control it and it's hard to just put something out of mind that easily. Sure, sure. What are some of the other names for earworms? 
Oh, geez. Um, so in the in kind of the research side of things, um, we have involuntary musical imagery, which is by far the most widely used term for this. But folks still use uh, earworms, stuck songs or sticky tunes, I think is another one. Uh-huh. Um, but we've we've kind of settled on interchanging earworms and involuntary musical imagery. OK, um, as as the term. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Is I can't imagine. Is there any useful purpose for earworms? Um. So some folks have talked a little bit about this, but I, I, I'm not sure. It's just something that if you if you think about a lot of our thoughts and a lot of our cognitions, some of them are very clearly purposeful and have some kind of end goal. Mm-hmm. If you're a student and you're thinking about a paper you need to write, that's has a useful purpose. But then we'll just have such random thoughts pop into our minds other times that we wouldn't necessarily think they're useful, but we still have them. So at this point, I would say I'm I'm not sure if it's serving some sort of function um, for (laughs) us, but it's an interesting piece of human cognition that I've quite enjoyed studying. Yeah, yeah. Well, I read that 33% of us experience them daily, which I was like, wow, that sounds like a lot. Um, And I also read if it's particularly bad, the earworm can be alleviated Mm -hmm. by medications used to treat OCD. How often does that happen? Um, So I'm not in my line of things, um, I tend to stray away from the pathological. Um, So I don't Uh get into the clinical implications because there's also some like earworm adjacent conditions that are kind of medically diagnosed. There's basically like musical hallucinations or Mm. um, musical delusions where you're kind of saying someone's maybe putting that music into my head or you really think someone is playing music somewhere around you, but it's really just in your head. And so with earworms in particular, we're kind of aware that it's just happening in our heads. So it's not like there's some questioning of reality. Sure. Um, so I'm not familiar with any medication or medical alleviation for kind of these normal earworms that most of us will experience. But I know there's been some work that says if it's maybe a song you don't like, just switch it to a different song and people are, their mood is alleviated because it's no longer this annoying song. Mm. But also focusing on another mental task can sometimes help dislodge these sticky earworms. Yeah. Or, yeah talk to us some more about how, how we get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> I think one, that's probably I've, everyone's top <laughs> question. Like, how do you get rid of it once you have one? Yeah. So, so like we were talking about earlier, as soon as you are aware of it and try to get rid of it, sometimes it becomes quite difficult. And so sometimes it's not so much trying to get rid of it, but maybe making it a less irksome experience. Mm. So in my work, I've really been interested in this aspect of being able to control these experiences. And so a lot of people have a hard time saying that they could just stop it outright. Okay. But a lot of people do say they have not that hard a time changing it to a different song. So mm. if you do have a very annoying song stuck in your head, perhaps just try to switch to your favorite song or a song that you like a bit better. Mm-hmm. So you might be able to get rid of the, you might not be able to get rid of the experience entirely, 
but at least it's a little bit better. Yeah, that's interesting uh, that you mentioned that because when I was preparing for this call, all of the research that I was reading mentioned other things. Like it didn't mention what you just said and the method you just described is what I've always done. Like I just, mm-hmm. I replace it with my favorite, a favorite song. There's actually two that for some reason I always use. One is Erin Neville's I Owe You One. <laughs> and the <laughs> other one that sometimes I'll use is Sacrifice by Elton John. And both of them are kind mm-hmm. of soothing type songs. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they just kind of relax my brain, but as soon as I think of one of those songs, it just replaces it. So I was surprised to not see that very much in what I was reading. But that's the first thing you mentioned. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because when just kind of anecdotally talking with some of the the folks that participate in my in my research, a lot of them say that's kind of a technique they'll mm-hmm. engage in. And so then in a later study, I added that in and asked people, well, can you just change it to a different song? Mm. And most people are are able to do that. So okay. that seems like a an easier implementation. I know there's also some other research that says chewing gum could help really? help dislodge it. So that could be <laughs> a another one. Okay. Um, maybe you just start thinking more about chewing the gum than on the earworm, and so then it can fade away. But mm. that that is another one that I have that I've come across. Okay. Any other ways of getting rid of those earworms? Not too much research has looked into this particular piece, just whether people could do it. Okay. And so when people are asked, well, what did you do? A lot of them just said, oh, I switched it to a different song or I tried to think about something else. So basically engaging your cognitive processes in something other than that annoying mm, experience, yeah. whether it's just switching the song or some other more mentally demanding task, because sure, um, as the other work shows that these lower demand tasks or thinking processes, it's more likely to creep in when you're engaged in those than something that's more um, demanding. Sure. So like solve a crossword puzzle or a certain yeah. project <laughs> at, at yes. work that requires your mental capacity. Yeah. Huh, interesting. I'm going to list some ways in the show notes that people can connect with you and your work. I'm excited to keep up with you with your new position because that sounds yeah. really interesting. Can you tell us just briefly about your new position? Sure. So I'll be starting at the University of Pennsylvania's Positive Psychology Center in August. And I'll be part of the Humanities and Human Flourishing Project. And so in this project, what we're really looking at is how engagement with the humanities and kind of the arts in general can promote positive outcomes for people. So increases in subjective or physical well-being and mental well-being in just your own kind of engagement with society and things of, of that nature. Mm, sounds right up my alley. We'll have to stay mm-hmm. in touch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to list several ways where people can connect with your uh, you and your work. Twitter, you have a website with a lot of research that you published, mm-hmm. uh, email. I asked all my guests to close out our conversation with a musical ending, a coda, by sharing a song or a story about a moment that music enhanced your life. Is there a song or a story you can share with us today? Sure. Um, so whenever um, anyone asks, like, why why are you researching music? Why is that what you've dedicated your science life to? I, I just always think back to this one kind of beautiful moment when I was an undergraduate in, in college. I was part of our symphonic band and we were rehearsing for an upcoming concert and we were doing a piece called Nessun Dorma from an opera and we had just finished 
nailing down all the little technical pieces in isolation. And we were gearing up for our first full run through Mm. of the piece. And I remember as we were doing the piece, it's incredibly moving. It's incredibly beautiful. And at the end of the piece, everyone in the 80 person symphonic band just kind of sat there in silence because we were all just so moved and kind of awe inspired by the experience. And so when everyone, anyone asks about when, like what really kind of stands out about music to me is that it can have these really profound effects on people individually, um, but also kind of collectively as a group, because in that moment we were all like, this is such a powerful piece. And we just knew how the audience would react when we, we were able to share it with, with others. Uh, well, and that's what everyone I think misses so much now is not being able to have those in-person experiences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that and that was an area you spent quite a bit of did quite a bit of your research on too aesthetic experiences yes. how people respond to the arts in different ways like if they feel like crying mm-hmm. anything else that you want to say about that topic yeah so I've I've also done some work looking at um, like you said when people feel like crying or actually cry when listening to music. Mm -hmm. And so obviously there's a lot of different reasons we cry. Um, And so for music, it really seems like there's these kind of two different tracks people will, will follow and people might have, have had both experiences at some point in their lives. Mm -hmm. And one is kind of the obvious, like I was sad. I was crying because I was sad. But the other one is because I had this kind of awe transformative profound experience so I was very moved and that really moved me to tears that's kind of the the phrase I'd suggest Um, spiritual experience or something right and so oftentimes when we're having this kind of sad crying experience it's often because we have some personal connection to the music Mm -hmm. um it was my wedding song and my partner had passed away or it was our song and our relationship is over or It was played at someone's funeral or there's some personal connection that kind of renders it negative. Occasionally people will also say like the song is just sad. It tells a sad story. And so it made me Mm -hmm. sad. And so I cried. But more often when people are referencing things about the music, they're having an awe kind of crying experience or they're saying the, the music was just so beautiful. It really moved me or it really connected to me on a personal level. So it's something about the music itself Mm that people have this kind of moved experience with where it's more often some connection the song has with something in their life Sure. Um, when we're having that sad experience. Sure. Well, that word that you just mentioned, awe, that's a, gr- mm-hmm. that's a great, I mean, that's that kind of captures it in a nutshell is I think right. we all experience that sense of awe and it's not necessarily directly tied to our own experience or a situation that we're relating to. It's just this overwhelming sense of awe Mm -hmm. at the music and the feelings that it stirs up in us. Some of the other, that other reason that you were mentioning reminded me of uh, another guest that I had on the show who was talking about Mm -hmm. the reaction that people have to Christmas music. And I'm Mm. sure you (laughs) probably have done a lot of that. She's a professor of nostalgia and Mm -hmm. talks about how Christmas music stirs up sometimes good, sometimes not good memories (laughs) in people. Is that a topic that you've done a lot of research on as well? I have not, but I personally am just not a fan of Christmas music. So as soon as it starts in Thanksgiving, I'm like, no, no. 
no more radio until until January. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, she so does that's... more just a personal preference. Sure. <laughs> well, she does does give some uh, tips mm-hmm. to those people who fall into that category as well. <laughs> <laughs> the research that you've done, as we mentioned, is on aesthetic experiences, also musical mm-hmm. imagery, which we've talked about. And then the third area is ecological assessment. Can you just describe? I'm not really sure exactly what that yeah. means. What is that? Yeah. So ecological assessment is basically a method for studying these these sorts of topics. In some research, we'll give people a survey and ask, have you ever had this experience and what was it like? And they'll okay. just tell us one time what it was like. Um, with ecolo- And they'll come into like the research lab or they'll do it online or, or uh-huh. something. Whereas with ecological assessment, we're interested in studying these types of processes when they're happening in people's everyday lives. Um, so rather than have you come into the lab and tell me about this time that you had music in your head, in your daily life, I'll send you a survey and say, hey, do you have music in your head right now? What's it like? Where are you? What are you doing? Oh. So that we can really um, study these things where people are actually having them because a research lab's kind of a weird environment for most people. Mm-hmm. And so people might give different answers or feel differently or just experience their own sure. cognitions differently in that in that setting. Yeah. And so with ecological assessment, it's really studying it where it typically happens and how it typically happens. Mm, fascinating. Well, thank you so much for all of the intriguing information and for the tips on how to get rid of earworms. Yes. <laughs> I look forward to staying in touch with you at your new position. Yeah. Sounds really interesting and like to to know about what's fun and exciting research and projects you guys are working on in that setting. I hope you all had a safe and enjoyable 4th of July weekend. Here in the U.S., we are right in the thick of summer. And here in Minnesota, we are right in the midst of a heat wave. It was 96 degrees today and very humid. I hope you are finding creative ways to enjoy and make the most of this unusual summer. Let me know how you're enhancing your summer days with music. You can connect with me on social media, email, and my website. All links can be found at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast slash episode 50. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next week, may your life be enhanced with music.